Hello, you guys. What's up? Happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. I hope y'all are having a great week. I hope everything's going good. As you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are back with a wild one. Today we are talking about the serial killer named Dennis Nilsson. Now, if you have never heard of Dennis Nilsson before, then you are in for a wild ride. And if you have, you know just how crazy this is going to get. So with that being said, I don't want to give anything else away. Let's just jump right on into it today. Dennis Nilsson, also known as the Kindly Killer, the Muswell Hill Murderer, or the British Jeffrey Dahmer, was born on November 23rd, 1945 in Scotland to his parents, Olav Nilsson and Elizabeth Nilsson. Now, Olav was a Norwegian soldier and Elizabeth was the daughter of a fisherman. Now, interestingly enough, despite having three children, Dennis was one of three siblings. He had a sister and an older brother. Dennis's father never really wanted a family. He never wanted children despite having three of them. So because of that, him and Elizabeth ended up getting a divorce in 1948, which was just six years after the two of them had gotten married. So with Dennis's biological father out of the picture, this really made Elizabeth's father, a man named Andrew, kind of stand up and be that paternal figure, that father figure role for Elizabeth's children. And Dennis and his grandfather were extremely, extremely close. Andrew and Dennis would go out on the fishing boat. He would hang out at the harbor with his grandfather. However, right before Dennis's sixth birthday, Andrew actually passed away. He suffered a heart attack and died. Now, somewhat of a defining moment in Dennis's life was right before the burial of his grandfather, Elizabeth, his mother, allowed Dennis to see his grandfather's body before any burial service happened. So Dennis walked into the funeral home and saw his grandfather's corpse, essentially, just laying on a table. And Dennis's mother, Elizabeth, told Dennis that his grandfather was sleeping and he was in a better place. But this was a very defining moment in Dennis's life. As you can imagine, being six years old, walking in and seeing a corpse is a pretty traumatic experience, and it definitely had a very big impact on Dennis and his outlook on life after that. Now, when it came to his personality, Dennis was known to be quiet and reserved. He really kept to himself. He didn't show a lot of affection, and he didn't receive affection well, regardless if it was from adults or his friends. He never was able to really break down that barrier and create personal connections. He was extremely independent. Something that he liked to do on his alone time was travel to the harbor by himself, something that he used to do with his grandfather. And he would just hang out by the harbor and watch the boats come in and out. And when it came to his family dynamic, Dennis was definitely the odd one out. His older brother, Olaf Jr., was definitely the star child of the family. He was the golden child. He was extremely popular. He had a lot of friends. And Dennis didn't live up to that same persona. Again, he was very quiet, reserved, and kept to himself. However, because he felt like he was living in his brother's shadow, this created a lot of resentment that Dennis had towards his brother. Now, in the early 1950s, Dennis's mother, Elizabeth, ended up meeting a man named Andrew Scott. And Andrew Scott was a local builder, and the two of them hit it off, and they got married, and they ended up moving to an area called Strichen, I believe, 
I'm saying that correctly, there's a good chance I'm not. Strichen is a small town located in Scotland, and they moved there in 1955, and Andrew and Elizabeth ended up having multiple more children together. So it was really like one big blended family at this point. However, Dennis still never had a super close relationship or bond with any of his siblings. Now, something else to note about Dennis is that from a very early age, he knew that he was gay. And at first, this was a very confusing concept for him to grasp. Obviously, we're talking about the 1950s. Being gay was an extremely, extremely taboo thing, and it was very frowned upon. I don't even think I need to explain that because just if you know the time period, that's how it was. However, part of the reason that Dennis felt confused was because the boys that he would find himself being attracted to resembled his sister. So because of that, he didn't know if he was more attracted to girls or boys. So in order to, in his mind, figure out this dilemma that he was having, Dennis actually fondled both his brother and his sister while they were both asleep one night. And while his sister did not wake up, his brother did. And obviously when his brother woke up, he was completely thrown off, completely caught off guard, and he really bullied Dennis for this. And I'm not going to sit here and condone bullying. However, as you can imagine, that is a very traumatic experience to go through. So Dennis's older brother started bullying him for this, and he started calling him a hen, which was essentially a Scottish slang term for a girl. Now at this point, Dennis was 14 years old, and he really did not know what he wanted to do with his life or what direction his life was going in. He felt very confused in all different aspects of his life. And so because of this, he decided to enroll in military school. When he enrolled in military school, he was transferred to West Germany, and while he was there, he kept his sexuality hidden from his peers for the fear that he would be judged and bullied again for it. However, there was one incident where Dennis and a friend of his ended up getting really drunk one night, and while they were drunk, the friend ended up passing out, and Dennis eventually ended up falling asleep. Nothing sexual happened between the two. However, this sparked Dennis's curiosity and fascination, and really the beginning of his sexual fantasies of and about men, however, more specifically, men who were unconscious. It was even said that Dennis would get so drunk and pretend that he was unconscious with the hope that there would be someone who would take advantage of him sexually. That way he could live out that fantasy. However, regardless of the multiple attempts that Dennis gave this, that never ended up happening. Now, in November of 1975, Dennis met a 20-year-old man named David Gallican outside of a bar, and the two of them went home together. They started talking, they had some drinks, and Dennis learned that David was also gay and was looking for a place to live at the time. And that's when the two of them decided that they were going to move in together. So they moved into this apartment on Melrose Avenue, which was located in London. However, moving in together definitely caused more problems and strain on their friendship than it did any good. Dennis and David formed somewhat of a friends with benefits relationship. And over time, Dennis did develop a lot of feelings towards David. However, things got messy because David would bring someone home or Dennis would bring someone home and it caused a lot of fighting and violence between the two of them. So much so that David eventually moved out and Dennis ended up staying in the apartment by himself. And the reason I'm telling you this is because this is the place, this apartment is the place where all of Dennis's murders occurred. 
Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So now with all of that backstory, let's jump in to the murders. Dennis Nilsson is known to have murdered at least 12 men and boys. His first known victim was 14-year-old Stephen Holmes. Dennis met Stephen at a bar called Cricklewood Arms Pub on December 30th, 1978. Dennis says he invited Stephen to go back to his home with him where the two of them drank together. Now, according to Dennis, he said that he was drinking pretty heavily this night and thought that Stephen Stephen was 17, not 14. This is so he says. He invited Stephen to go back to his home with him where the two of them drank together and pretty much drank themselves to sleep. Now, when Dennis woke up the next morning, Stephen was still there. And according to Dennis, he said that he did not want to spend New Year's Eve alone because when they woke up, it was now December 31st. So it was New Year's Eve. So in order to stop Stephen from leaving, Dennis decided to take a necktie and wrap it around Stephen's neck. He strangled Stephen until he was unconscious. And then he took Stephen and drowned his head in a bucket of water in the kitchen until he died. Dennis then masturbated over Stephen's body twice and afterwards cleaned Stephen Stephen's body up and placed Stephen's body in Dennis's bed for him to sleep next to. The following day on January 1st, Dennis then took Stephen's body and hid it underneath the floorboards of his home. Eight months later, Dennis then dug up Stephen's body and took it to the back of his apartment complex where he burned it, completely erasing any evidence. Ten months later, in October 1979, Dennis met a man named Andrew Ho, who was a student from Hong Kong. The two of them also met at a bar and Dennis lured him back to his apartment with the understanding that the two of them were going to have a casual hookup. However, once they got back to the apartment, Dennis tried to strangle Andrew. However, Andrew was actually able to escape and when he escaped, he decided not to press any charges, which again is one of the many examples, as you will see, where Dennis easily could have been caught way before all of this was over. Two months later, on December 3rd, 1979, Dennis met a 23-year-old Canadian student named Kenneth Ockenden. The two of them met in a bar and Stephen offered Kenneth a tour of London. He said that he would take him to some of the most iconic, most legendary London spots, and Kenneth agreed and used Dennis as his tour guide before before the two of them ended up going back to Dennis's apartment. While they were listening to music at Dennis's apartment, Dennis strangled Kenneth to death with an electrical cable and slept with him in his bed for the night. The following morning, Dennis staged Kenneth's body in several suggestive positions and took photographs of each one and then had sex with Kenneth's corpse. He then placed Kenneth's body in his chair in his living room and sat next to him as if the two of them were watching TV together. After watching TV with Kenneth's corpse, Dennis then wrapped his body in a plastic bag and hid it underneath the floorboards of his home. 
Now, what's wild here is that Dennis actually dug up Kenneth's body four different times after he buried it. Each time Dennis dug up Kenneth's body, he would then place it in the living room and watch TV with it. He would sit with Kenneth's corpse and drink and talk to him as if he were still alive. The next victim was a 16-year-old homeless boy named Martin Duffy, and it's unclear where the two of them met. However, on May 13th, 1980, Dennis strangled Martin in his sleep and then drowned him in his kitchen sink. After the drowning, he then took Martin's body into the bathroom, placed his body in the bathtub, filled up the tub, and Dennis then got into it and bathed with him. Now, Dennis was completely acting as if Martin was still alive. It was said that he was kissing Martin's corpse. He was talking to it, complimenting him. And this went on for two whole days before Dennis eventually placed Martin's body in his closet and left him there for two whole weeks before finally burying him under the floorboards of the home. Two other victims of Dennis were 27-year-old Billy Sutherland and 24-year-old Malcolm Barlow. And both of those men were also strangled to death. Now, Malcolm Barlow was stuffed under Dennis's kitchen sink because Dennis was actually running out of space to put these bodies in. It got to a point where he had six bodies hiding in different spaces throughout his apartment, and he was running out of space to put them in, so he was literally putting them anywhere he could. He had multiple underneath the floorboards of his home. He had one hiding in the closet. He had one under the kitchen sink. And after Billy and Malcolm, there were also two unidentified victims as well as a man named Douglas Stewart who managed to escape. So again, that was another victim who luckily was able to get away from Dennis. And then on January 4th, 1981, there was an unidentified 18-year-old who was murdered as well as an unidentified man in his early 20s the following month. And both of these bodies were also discovered in Dennis's apartment. At the end of 1981, Dennis also attempted to murder a man named Paul Nobbs, as well as a man named Toshimitsu Azawa on December 31st, 1981. However, both of them managed to escape as well after being strangled. So again, both are prime examples of the fact that Dennis could have been put away long before he actually was. Okay, we're gonna take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. All right, you guys, welcome back. And at this point, Dennis figured out that he needed to try and conceal his crimes a little better because he had at least six bodies in his apartment at this point. And as you can imagine, having six decomposing bodies in your apartment, that not only is going to put off the world's most foulest smell, however, it's also going to attract things like bugs, insects, rodents that are going to want to come and feed off of those bodies. So twice a day, Dennis would try and prevent this by spraying deodorant, all over the corpses in the house. He also began dismembering the bodies by placing them on a stone on his kitchen floor and cutting up the limbs. And he would also decapitate his victims and put their skulls into boiling water to remove all of its flesh. He would then take the dismembered body parts and bury them into the garden of his apartment complex, as well as place them in the shed that was also in the back of the apartment. Now, at this point, Dennis's landlord wanted to do some renovations on his apartment, which 
put a little bit of a halt in Dennis's killing spree. However, in March of 1982, Dennis started this up again. His killing spree really was only halted for several months. It wasn't like it was a year or two years because Dennis's last attempted murder was at the end of 1981 and he began killing again in March of 1982. Now, Dennis met a man named John Howlett and he ended up inviting him over to his apartment. And when John fell asleep, Dennis sat next to him in bed and continued drinking before going in and strangling him again. However, John was actually able to wake up and almost completely fight off Dennis. However, he was not strong enough and Dennis ended up strangling him until he was unconscious about three times before taking his body into the bathroom and drowning him in the bathtub. He then dismembered John's body and flushed his flesh down the toilet and threw his bones into the trash. Now, Dennis flushing flesh down the toilet was not something that he typically did. However, he did do that with John and that's going to come into play in a little bit. Now, Dennis then repeated this same MO only two months later, which it's very clear what his MO is at this point. He goes out, he finds vulnerable men, whether they may be homeless or they're just looking for a casual hookup, and he brings them back to his apartment and attempts to murder them. That is his entire MO. And he did this again just two months after John with a man named Carl Stodder. Dennis strangled Carl to the point where he thought he was dead and then placed Carl in the chair in his living room to watch TV with his corpse. However, something different happened this time. So Dennis had a dog named Bleep. The dog's name literally was Bleep. And Bleep jumped on Carl's body and started licking his face. And Dennis knew automatically that something was not right because out of all of the times that Dennis had murdered his victims, Bleep never reacted to the corpses. He never went up to them. He never engaged with the corpses. However, with Carl, Bleep immediately jumped up on Carl and started licking his face. And Dennis knew that this meant that Carl was not dead. Now, interestingly enough, instead of trying to completely murder Carl in that moment, Dennis actually decided to resuscitate Carl, and it worked. And once Carl came to and woke up out of his state of unconsciousness, Dennis told Carl that Carl had actually suffocated himself because Carl sleeps in a sleeping bag. And Dennis convinced Carl that he got caught in the zipper of his sleeping bag and suffocated himself. And Dennis was the hero who resuscitated him. Now, at first, Carl did believe Dennis and stayed with him for the following two days. However, Carl started to get flashbacks of Dennis strangling him. And when Carl approached Dennis about these flashbacks, Dennis completely blew this off and Dennis blamed these flashbacks on the fact that Carl suffered from nightmares and Dennis told Carl, I've seen you have these nightmares while you're sleeping and I try and help you by putting a cold washcloth on your face. So maybe that is what you're remembering. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. And while Carl didn't question his reasoning, he knew that he needed to get out of Dennis's apartment. Even though Dennis offered to let Carl stay there longer, Carl knew that something was off and he decided to leave. The next victim of Dennis was a man named Graham Allen. On October 6, 1982, 27-year-old Graham was strangled to death and then placed in Dennis's bathtub for three 
days. Dennis even asked for a day off work specifically to dismember Graham's body. On January 26th, 1983, Dennis killed his final victim, a man named Stephen Sinclair, who he strangled to death. Now, after murdering Stephen, Dennis noticed that Stephen had bandages around his wrists, and when he removed the bandages, Dennis noticed that Stephen had attempted suicide just several days prior to his murder. So, after seeing this, Dennis then took Stephen's body and completely washed it and placed a healing powder on Stephen's cuts. After that, he then placed Stephen into his bed and placed mirrors all around his bed and undressed himself and sat in the middle of his bed with Stephen's body while talking to him as if he was again still alive. Now, interestingly enough, Dennis was actually the cause of himself being caught. He basically got himself caught and it's kind of interesting how this happened. So on February 4th, 1983, Dennis actually complained to his landlord, to his apartment complex management, and he told the management that the drains were clogged in his apartment, not knowing that the reason that these drains were clogged was because Dennis had poured his victim's body parts down these drains and it eventually got them to be clogged. So a plumber named Michael Catrin went to Dennis's apartment and searched through the drains. And when he did that is when he found pieces of flesh and small bones inside of the drains. And when he told Dennis about it, Dennis joked with Michael saying that someone had flushed the their Kentucky Fried Chicken. The next morning, Michael and his supervisor came back to Dennis's apartment to search through the drains again. And when they did it this time, because they didn't finish getting everything out the previous day, they noticed that someone had already gone in and cleaned out all of the drains, meaning that Dennis realized what he had done and he went in to clean out all of the drains to get rid of any possible evidence. Now, obviously this made them extremely suspicious and they decided to examine the pipes leading to the drain. And when they did that, they found more bones and pieces of flesh coming from the top floor of the complex, which was where Dennis lived. Michael and his supervisor informed the police and a pathologist confirmed that the bones found were in fact human remains. Now, while Dennis was out at work, there were actually three police officers waiting for him to come back. And when Dennis returned home, the officers had informed Dennis of what they found in the pipes. They told him that it was human remains and they asked Dennis to take them to where the body was. And without even questioning it, Dennis walked the authorities into his apartment, into his closet and showed them where one of his corpses was hidden. Now, at this point, authorities believed that there was only one body. They did not think that they were dealing with a serial killer of this magnitude. However, when they asked Dennis at his apartment if this was the only body, Dennis told them that it was a long story and he would explain it to them once they got to the police station. Now, on the way to the police station, authorities asked Dennis if the remains belonged to one person or two, to which Dennis responded with, 15 or 16 since 1978. And once they arrived at the station, Dennis made a full confession. He provided all the details of the killings and admitted to killing up to 15 young men. And he also admitted to the attempted murder of seven others. However, he could only remember the names of four of them. It was noted that at no point did Dennis show any sign of remorse. And he said that he had no intention of murdering his victims until right before he did it. 
And when it came to a motive, because authorities obviously asked him what his motive was behind the killings, Dennis said that he didn't know and that he didn't have a motive. And he actually asked authorities what they thought his motive was in this because he didn't know. Dennis's trial began on October 24th, 1983, where he was being charged with six counts of murder and two charges of attempted murder. And he actually pled not guilty on all charges. The prosecution relied heavily on the confession that Dennis had made as well as the testimonies from three victims, Paul Nobbs, Douglas Stewart, and Carl Stodder, all men who had managed to escape from Dennis. Physical evidence used in the trial also included photographs of the murder scenes as well as the chopping board that was used to dissect the victims as well as the cooking pot that was used to boil the skulls, feet, and hands. Now, the defense basically claimed insanity and blamed Dennis's troubled childhood and inability to express his feelings as a large factor as to why he did this. And crazy enough, the jury was actually not able to come to a unanimous verdict. And so the judge made a ruling and said that it was going to be up to a majority verdict. So usually the jury has to be 100% unanimous. It has to be a unanimous vote. Everyone has to be on the same page. However, with the severity of Dennis's crime, the judge allowed a little bit of wiggle room in the rules and said that it could go off of a majority vote. And so on November 4th, 1983, Dennis Nelson was found guilty of six murders and one attempted murder and was sentenced to life in prison without parole for 25 years. And then the possibility of parole was completely eliminated in 1994. Now, on May 12th, 2018, Dennis Nilsson died as a result of a surgical complication from a stomach surgery he had at the age of 72 in East Yorkshire, England. And that, you guys is the case of Dennis Nelson. Now, in terms of my thoughts on this one, I find it completely mind-blowing that so many people were able to escape from Dennis. However, it was still years after that until he was finally caught, and he was never even caught because someone reported it. The only person that we know of that reported this was Andrew Ho in the very beginning, and then he decided to not press charges against Dennis, and then this all kind of went away. I think a thousand percent Dennis Nelson would have continued killing had he not been caught. However, I almost feel like he wanted to be caught because he did not try whatsoever to deny any of his killings. He even brought authorities to the body the second they showed up at his door and he completely confessed to everything. So I don't necessarily believe that he even cared that his killing spree was up, but let me know what you guys think about this one. All right, you guys, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. If you have any case suggestions, you can send them to either at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. That's Killer Instinct Podcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at just at Killer Instinct Podcast. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys, and until then, stay safe.